we are the biggest Spanish company, the third in Europe, and at the same time, we are the biggest leisure-focused hotel company in the world. Many people say, usually, digitalization is about processes, people, and technology, and I don't agree, you need data in that equation, because that's what makes you really agile as a company, because you are able to understand what's going on inside and outside of your company, and you can react to that. Transformations are not done by yourself. I don't buy the company that you work for, by the people that forms your company, by your team, when you have a team. So make sure everyone feels like a star. So trust yourself, build on yourself, make sure all the others feel, feel like stars. This is Siona TV. My name is Hendrik Deckers. I'm here today with Chris Palomino, who is the VPIT at Melia International Hotels. A very warm welcome, Chris. Hi, Hendrik. It's my pleasure to be here. Chris, you have a degree in technical engineering and in information systems from the UNET University. You started your career in 97 and you joined Melia in 99 as a system analyst. Over the years, you held various positions in the company, mainly in IT security, and you became the global IT uh, VP in 2013. So Chris, tell us a little bit more about yourself. Where are you from? What's your background? And how did you arrive in this position? Okay, so I'm 50 years old. And as you said, I've been 23 years working in Melia. So that's a long career in, in, in the same company. Uh, I could say I've grown up as a professional over there. I had some works before. I was for, for nine years uh, a trainer in sailing for young teenagers mm -hmm. and, and, and some people. Uh, then I joined uh, an, aesthetic, um, an aesthetic clinic uh, for some years doing, doing all the IT stuff for them. Mm -hmm. uh, but my main real work was, was in Melia. I started as a, as a technical engineer, as you said. Um, and, and I've been always growing in Melia. What kept me over there, it's, it's that uh, I've been always having new challenges, new positions. I started in, in technical engineer and then I switched to information security. I created the information security function in, in, in Melia and for many years I was there and then I moved back uh, to, to taking care of the infrastructures and the networks of, of, of Melia. At the same time I kept security and when I was there I created also the first uh, direct services from IT to our customers uh, which was the Wi-Fi in the hotels. Uh, that was the first service that came from directly from IT to, to the guests. And it worked quite well. Mm -hmm. um, so in 2013, we, we were struggling a little bit with the IT function in, in Melia. We, we were not very aligned with, with the business. Mm -hmm. uh, so there was a challenge there. And, and the company decided to, to trust me with, with, the, with the task of fixing that, aligning IT with the business and, and make the, the function successful and, and working for, for everyone. Okay. Um, I think I've always shown over my career my, my focus on, on IT, uh, IT's goal as making the business successful and not doing IT in a theoretical or technically right manner, just okay. making the business successful. And you are, you live, still live today on the beautiful island of Mallorca in Spain, right? So, uh, but you travel to Madrid, where is uh, where's the headquarters? Tell us a little bit about 
about that situation? Yes, I, I live in Mallorca. Our headquarters are based over there. In okay. fact, there, there are many, many Spanish uh, hospitality companies that have their headquarters based in, in Mallorca. But I travel a lot. Our business is, is a travel business. Uh, and I come very often to Madrid where we have uh, a branch office, a very important branch office, especially for meeting at events and business travel. Mm -hmm. And we have very beautiful properties as in this one we are staying in. Okay. Uh, so um, Melilla is a, it's a big hotel chain. Tell us a little bit more about it. When did it start? How big is it today? How many people? How many, how many rooms, uh, stays and so on? Give us a little bit of context, please. We are the, the biggest Spanish company, the third in Europe and the 16th, if I remember correctly, uh, worldwide. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, we are the biggest uh, leisure-focused uh, hotel company in the world. Okay. Uh, the, the, the biggest that has the main focus on, on leisure and what we call leisure. Leisure is those cities where you can travel for business, but also you can spend your weekend over there or having a vacation at the same time, short vacation, or having fun at, at the afternoon or at night, like New York, Madrid, Barcelona, Paris, London, uh, many Rome, many beautiful cities uh, around the world. Uh, we have 370-something hotels. It changed a little bit with, with time, so mm -hmm. I can't say the exact number today. Um, and we are in four continents, uh, mainly in Europe uh, with a strong presence in Spain and in the Caribbean, also growing very fast in the southeast of Asia, uh, especially in Vietnam. We are right now the second hotel company in, in number of rooms. Um, we have uh, almost 100,000 rooms worldwide. Wow. Um, and we have almost a million, a billion of incomes, uh, an American billion of, of, of uh, euros in incomes last year. Um, so th that makes us the, the big, as I said, the biggest Spanish company, very focused on, on Blazer, also doing some mice and events. Um, and very oriented to give our customer uh, very personalized and, and relevant experiences. Okay. So we care a lot on that side of, of our business. Okay, so leisure business, leisure hotels, every, all around the world, a billion dollars revenue, huge organization. And I want to quickly talk about the impact that the pandemic had on your business. I mean, in, in, in the hotel industry, that was, I mean, from, from one day to the other, you had to stop business almost. Uh, tell me a little bit about the impact it had and, and, what, and what happened in that period in, uh, in your organization. Well, uh, it's been the, the, the hardest crisis we've been through. I mean, there's no, there's, not, there's no other time in our history that we've been zero sales for months. Mm -hmm. And it happened during the pandemic, during the three, three first months of, of the pandemic. So we had to learn a lot. Uh, first, we, uh, although we are public, uh, we have been a family-owned a family company for many years, and, and, and even now, 60% uh, approximately of the company is owned by the Escarrer family. Um, so moving from uh, our headquarters to working 100% remote in our offices, and of course, emptying our hotels, because 
we couldn't have people traveling and arriving to our hotels. At the same time that we were dealing with, when we closed down, having people staying in our hotels that had to leave and they didn't know how to leave. So it was a struggling, a struggling time. Uh, and we learned many things uh, during this. First is that we survived. Uh, after months of not having sales, we were able to survive. And that's because we did our homework before. So we're, we were very financially strong okay. and that helped us. Yep. At, at the same time, we started our digital transformation in, at the end of 2014. Okay. And, and that's been critical because it has allowed us to be very tactic, very agile in, in reacting to, to, to the market. Mm-hmm. And, and there's a very beautiful story uh, about our digital transformation, how it helped us during the pandemic mm-hmm. to, to keep our costs very low uh, as we had zero sales yeah. uh, because we had moved all the front of our, our cache, uh, all, all the cache of the front of our central reservation systems into the cloud. Mm-hmm. So uh, 80% of the, of the processing power of our central reservation systems was already in the cloud. Wow. Uh, so as is a pay-as-you-go uh, um, concept, the cloud, we were able to lower a lot, uh, to lower a lot our cost. Yeah. Uh, not, not 100%, but uh, 80%. Um, and at the same time, one thing we did when we were two months in, in, the, clo- in the lockdown of the pandemic is that we, we decided to pay back to our healthcare professionals in, in Spain. Mm-hmm. So we got, gave up uh, 20,000 room nights for healthcare professionals for free. Wow. Um, and, and we decided to do it, uh, putting 2,000 room nights every day. So you had to go to our website um, and book them, uh, proving that you were a healthcare professional. Um, and it was a huge success. It was so a success that it was a record in concurrent demand of our central reservation system. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we learned that we were able to sell 2,000 rooms in one minute, eight seconds. That was the limit. That was the limit. And it was the highest peak of demand. And it was amazing to show uh, to our CFO that all the promises we've done in business cases around the cloud, where you align costs with demand, uh, it actually happened. We were able to absorb all that demand and at the same time keep our cost low during the rest of the, the rest of those months. Uh, it, it was in, in a very difficult and, and sad moments. It was a beautiful thing to, to see as, as, as was having some of our hotels being um, hospitals for people that were quarantined and, yeah. and they were staying in our hotels. And we, we put those hotels uh, in the hands of the government and, and our staff volunteered in many of those hotels. To, to still work, even with the danger of, of the pandemic. So uh, it's been a very hard time. At the same time, we've seen really beautiful things, both in, in our digital reality and, and the rest of the business. Yeah, what an amazing story. Huh? How you, uh, I mean, this really, really shows the power of the cloud, where if there's no use, you can reduce the cost. And if there's a peak, a sudden peak, you can also uh, manage that if there's a peak in demand. And so you had 20,000 um, uh, guests that could stay in your hotels from the healthcare sector as, as paying back to society. Wow, that's, that's, that's really impressive. So now, I mean, we're a couple of years later now, we're back into, are we back into normal business as before? Are we, is, is leisure uh, business uh, back to where it uh, was before the pandemic? 
well, this, this season, this year, it's incredible. Mm -hmm. uh, if we didn't have the, I think it's what, the sixth wave we had at the, in Christmas and first months of the year, mm -hmm. if we didn't have that and the um, uh, inflation we're having, which is um, increasing the cost of mm -hmm. our consumes uh, very much, it will be a record year in revenue and a record year uh, in, in our history in, in margin. Uh, they because the, the price are very high, the occupations are very high, uh, so it's it's a very successful year, especially from March to now, and we expect from to, to the end of the year, mm -hmm. it's been a great, a great, great, great year. Leisure has been blooming. People, it's it's like a bottle of champagne that you keep <laughs> with the pressure, and when you open the 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 tap, it, boom, it blooms. Yeah. People was willing to go out to the sun to other people. Uh, I think the whole leisure business, not only hospitality, is is blooming all around the world. Okay, super. So you come from a, out of a very difficult period now. You're in, in, in a very, uh, let's say, a general uh, uh, business is going well. But let's look, take a step back. And so let's look at what are the, what are the main drivers of change? What are the challenges today that business is, is facing? You already mentioned uh, inflation. And, and, and how is business responding to it and, and how is IT supporting these, uh, these responses? Okay, uh, in terms of challenges and, and recession, uh, mm -hmm. it, it's good what we've done with digitalization and aligning our, our cost with demand. And um, one of the things we've done, which is uh, moving our CRS 100% uh, to the cloud, because mm -hmm. I was explaining before with, with, uh, with the history around, uh, around the 20, thousand rooms uh, that we gave up that we were able to reduce 80% of the of the processing power oh. and now we've we, we've finished the transition to to the cloud of the central reservation system and many other systems and this allow us to even lower our cost more mm -hmm. so having this flexibility is very good to, to adapt into to, to the demand and at the same time we've reduced our t uh, total cost of ownership of the distribution the sales Mm -hmm. side of our technology, uh, 60% uh, oh. moving from our legacy systems into, into the cloud. Mm -hmm. So this is a great, a great way of, of helping the company. Uh, but this, not, this is not just that. Uh, mm -hmm. At the same time, uh, we, we've increased our capacity to, to bring sales into the company. So we've reduced the cost and we've increased our elasticity mm -hmm. To, uh, to handle higher demand. And we can value that in more or less 50 millions that we are putting in ourselves more than before the transformation mm -hmm. and 4 million less in the cost. Yep. So that's for 54 million that we are helping our, our, our um, P&L uh, in, in, in these in this times. Um, and at the same time, the digital transformation that we've done in our processes, not mm -hmm. just in the technology, but in our processes, allow us and the business to react much faster mm -hmm. to changes in the, in the environment. Yeah. Um, the, the way we handle data and artificial intelligence to react faster to changes in the demand in terms of pricing, adapting our pricing of our rooms, mm -hmm. for example. Um, the way we've implemented agile, agility mm -hmm. uh, in business functions like brands and others, 
um, is making them also be more agile yeah. uh, to react uh, our products, not only the IT products. Mm -hmm. So um, it's very beautiful to see how a digital transformation that started with technology and technology for sales uh, now is permeating to all sides of the business. Um, it's 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 something something amazing. Uh, one of the drivers one of the drivers for change we have in the company is growth mm -hmm. and, and and diversity. Uh, this process we've gone through has changed a lot. The the kind of people we have working in IT and and in other departments. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of young talent is coming now to work with us as a relevant player um, in things they want to learn too and, and, and to add to their curriculum and their professional experience because they are, they are getting value in the market when they finish working with us, when they decide to, to, to work with us. So I can tell you when I started in the company, 80% uh, of the people working over there were not only Spanish, but Mallorquinen from Mallorca. <laughs> and, and now it's quite the opposite. You have okay. most of the people is either from all parts of Spain or from all other parts of Europe, America. Uh, we have great um, people working in our offices in Mexico, in Dominican Republic, in, in Europe, in Germany, in France, in Milano, in Asia Pacific, adding uh, value, strategic value to the company mm -hmm. and, and involved in, in really core processes because of the tools they have and, and our ability to work remotely. Yeah. Uh, that wasn't possible before. So okay. uh, that's a great, a great thing to see. We're going to talk about your team in, in, in a moment, but I first wanted to dive a little bit deeper into uh, some of the core systems that, you, uh, that, that you've set up in, in, in your digital transformation. So I, I, I understand the, the reservation system is, is key. Uh, it, of course, is a key engine inside an, uh, a big uh, chain like uh, like yours. So, tell me a little bit more about that. How is how has um, sales of hotel rooms? How is that? How was that before? Is that changing? And how does a reservation system uh, support that? And I understand this is now 100% cloud-based. So, you you need that flexibility. I can imagine to uh, to support different channels of sales. Talk a little bit more about that. Yeah, the central reservation system is the core of mm -hmm. our distribution distribution technology. When we say distribution, it's sales. Okay. Uh, we, we, we say that we distribute rooms uh, yeah. through different channels. And we, we have all our direct customers, and we have also uh, other customers that are intermediate partners, like Booking.com, tour operators, uh, travel agencies, mm -hmm. um, many different partners that sell our room. Yeah. So through the central reservation system, which is the core, we are connected to Melia.com, the Melia apps, and all that's those channels that, that uh, handle our direct customers. And at the same time, we have pull and push integrations mm -hmm. with our third parties partners, like I said, Booking.com, the, the OTAs of the, of, of the world. Yeah. So every transaction is closed in the, in the central reservation system. Mm -hmm. every, every disponibility request, availability request, as I want a room in Madrid uh, for the weekend, the, the third weekend of January, uh, is processed by our central reservation system. 
even if it comes from, from our app, from our web, from a booking.com um, uh, system, we always reply from our central reservation system. We care of that. We take care of that over there. Mm -hmm. uh, there's another element that's very important too, which is the, the revenue management system, which fixes the price. Okay. Uh, I, I would say is the, the second interesting part of, or, mm -hmm. or most interesting part of our uh, distribution technology. So uh, we've had a central reservation system for more than 35 years. Mm -hmm. uh, it was one of the first ones in, or probably the first one in Spain, uh, a little bit after Marriott's one in, in, in the US. Uh -huh. uh, in fact, we were the first or second first because we have some challenges over there agreeing on if it was us or not, a hotel company selling rooms on the internet in the 90s. Um, we didn't have the first website, but we started selling. If we were not the first, we were the second. We okay. are not sure if we were the first or the second. So we've, we've bet on technology for distribution a long time ago. Uh, the thing is that uh, in 2000, uh, 1999, I think, uh, we, we rebuilt our central reservation systems um, with a fifth generation language and mainframe, and it, it was very legacy. Mm -hmm. So you have kind of a um, paper transaction cost because the mainframe works with MIPSs and there's something like you pay the more consume you do, yep. uh, but it's not 100% like that. And having a fifth uh, generation language allow us to generate code in many different uh, architectures. And ours was COBOL, uh, DB2 and mainframe, but you could generate Java or other mm -hmm. things. Uh, it was great when we did that in 1999, but years passed. And what we found uh, three or four years ago is that we were struggling with three things mainly. Um, the first one, uh, and, and we talked about that, it was cost per transaction. Yep. Uh, it, it had been many years working with that architecture. We knew it very well, so we made it efficient to the bone, but we touched bone. We couldn't make it more efficient. Yep. Uh, and at the same time, many digital uh, players in, in our market um, were getting better cost per transaction. I mean, there are companies that have a central reservation system made in the cloud three years ago or four years ago. So it was difficult to keep the pace with them or compete with them in, yep. in terms of margins. The other thing we had was the time to market. Mm -hmm. uh, we had a very, an amazing governance model built on that technology, mm -hmm. um, working with uh, waterfall projects, uh, with that fifth generation language with a technical office and a very, very well governed structure, but very rigid at the same time. Yeah. So our time to market was very, very long. The business couldn't accept that a new functionality needed that many time, that much time to, to, to be available to our customers. Yeah. So we were slugging with that and we were seen by the business as slow and expensive. But the third thing was that our people was getting old. Also, yeah. The people that manage our central reservation system were, were growing and some of them were retiring. Yeah. And when we were trying to hire, we were struggling with that because we had a 20 years old, fifth generation language with not many customers in the market. 
uh, with mainframe technology, very legacy technology. So we were not attractive for the good talent also, yeah. getting out of universities because they were seeing like that's, that's like a black hole where you get into and you <laughs> won't be able to get out of there. Yeah. So that was our, our third challenge. Um, and, and that's when we decided to do, again, a renovation of our architecture um, and, and moving to the cloud and, and implementing Agile. Yeah. And so tell me this, this reservation is, some, is, is, is completely, is it a buy or a build? Is this something that you can buy off the shelf and, and, and uh, change some parameters? Or is this something that is so unique that you need to build it yourself? Well, you can buy that in the market. Mm -hmm. In fact, there are companies that their business is, 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 is selling a central reservation system. Yep. And there are pretty good ones. Mm -hmm. uh, the fact is that all the major players have their own, like we do. Okay. Uh, because once you have the size, what you handle with the central reservation system is your business model. So it's strategic. If you're small, you, it makes sense for you. It, it, it may make sense for you to, to use a third party. Yeah. When you are big enough, ha having control of your business rules or your business strategy of how you handle your rates and build your rates, uh, it's very important. So yeah. for us, it's strategic and, and it is ours. Okay, great. So you we, we build that. So you come from a mainframe DB2, uh, 5GL uh, legacy system um, with, with an older population of, of, of people to support that. And then you do the big switch, you go cloud, you go agile, you go um, with younger people. That's, that's quite a, a, a change. I mean, how long did that take, this, this complete process from, okay, we need to go and, and build something new in, in the cloud for ourselves until you were like, wow, we are operational and every, every room is now in the new system. Well, it took us 22 months, okay. with, which anybody believed that. Anybody believed that. Even the cloud provider, uh, we had their consultants and services working with, with us to, mm -hmm. to see how we could do that, told us that it was a four-year project okay. for sure. So it's been very, very fast. The, the, um, what, what we did, we, we were very confident that our people knew very well the application systems. No. It was the same people that built it. So they knew it very well. So we knew the complexity that, that was there. And we were very conscious that we had a fifth generation language that was supposed to be able to generate code in different technologies. And one of them was Java. So we were confident that that would help us. Mm -hmm. But what we did first is building that cachet that I talked about when, when, when talking about the, the experience with the healthcare professionals. Um, the first thing we did is try, try fast and cheap. Mm -hmm. So we, we built a, a cachet that took care of, uh, of uh, answering the request for availability from different channels, from our website, our contact center, our app, third parties. So the first questions that our central reservation system received, which was, I need rooms in Madrid from these dates, so yeah. I have this, and this is the price, uh, was answered by the cloud. And then you needed to close the transaction. Okay, yes, I want this one. You had to go into the, into the mainframe because we weren't able to close the transaction on, on, on the cloud. Otherwise, it wouldn't be fast, cheap, okay. and, and easy to test it. Mm -hmm. um, so what we did is using the the 5GL um, to, to build that cachet. And we found out that, well, it worked. So 
you could generate code in Java. But at the same time, we found out that if you were translating a heavy database trans access transaction, one transaction that was calling many, many, many times to the database because of the mainframe, in the mainframe, the database is very close to the processing power, mm -hmm. uh, it wasn't efficient. So you, you couldn't reach a response time good enough if you translated the, 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 pro the programming to Java with no. the fifth GL. So we learned first, it was doable. Second, some transactions had to be rewritten from scratch. Mm -hmm. And third, that the people that did it was enthusiastic. So we were very concerned because at the beginning, they didn't want to hear anything about migrating the system. It was their child first. And second, they were very comfortable with it. They knew yeah. it very well. They had the technology under control. They had their governance processes. So why change it? This works very well for us. Not for the business, but for us it works very well. So, th so they didn't want to. But the people involved, what they saw immediately is that they were learning Java. They were learning uh, microservices. They were learning how to program in the cloud. Uh, so, hey, this is good for me too. Yeah. I'm becoming a, a high value professional into the market. And we can do that and we can, so the, the business started to be enthusiastic because we were lowering the, the cost and, and, and we were able to respond faster. So, hey, everybody's happy with this. We are happy, uh, the, the business is happy. They are starting to look at us with a different face. Mm -hmm. um, so it was a very good experience. Uh, mm -hmm. Although we, we saw we had many work, to, many work to do in front of us, providing many transactions that, that were very, heavy accessing the, the database. Okay. Um, and then we focus on, on testing all those transactions that we were just translating with the fifth GL language mm -hmm. in the cloud with one team. Another team started to program uh, from scratch uh, those transactions that were heavy, heavy used. Um, what we did with this team because we, we had one, one, one challenge in front of us. Okay, if we want this team to do it, they have to learn Java. Mm -hmm. They are starting to learn Java, but they are not senior Java programmers or senior architects. Yep. So how, we, how can we keep uh, these people involved and happy and cooperating and at the same time being fast in doing the transition because we wanted that to happen fast. Mm -hmm. We didn't want five years, four years. We wanted we wanted two years. Uh, so what we did is splitting the, this team in two and completing it with, with junk, but senior Java programmers and architects. So half of those two teams were experts in the application system. The other half were experts in the new technology. Okay. So, so each of them learned from the other. The people with Java talent learn from the application system from the from our senior people, and our senior people learn from the Java programmers. And when these two teams became um, efficient and, and working perfectly, we split them again. So when they learn from the other, we split them. And at the end of the day, we had eight teams working okay. working on, on translating on writing uh, sorry uh, transactions, and that was what made possible rewriting them in six months. So when, when they started being efficient, we had six months of, pro of programming and then making everything 
like pieces of of the of a Puzzle. Lego yeah. uh, game and starting to to try each of them, try uh, test each of them together with the others. So most of the 22 months were testing okay. and making sure everything was working and adjusting little things. Another thing that, that we did in parallel was changing our integration model in, in the company. Mm -hmm. So we came from an enterprise uh, service bus and, and ESB for our integrations model, and we moved into Kafka and micro, open microservices integration model. Uh, so we could build microservices and everything that's rewritten is microservices uh, as all of our cloud technology. Uh, and that made that after 22 months, we were able to shut down our mainframe and operate 100% in, into the cloud. We still have a great deal of code, almost 80% of the code that's translated with the 5GL. Mm -hmm. So we keep it, we maintain it on the 5GL technology yeah. and 20% that's written in Java. And now that we are 100% into, into the cloud, we are rewriting all those transactions, but being already in the cloud. So our plan is in, in, in one year or two years, not only having the full system in the cloud, but everything made for the cloud and optimized for the cloud and microservices built. Okay, super, wow. Quite an impressive story. And, 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 um, and I, I see that you, you yourself, you're quite deep in, in the technology here as well. I mean, you, uh, you know your, your technology. It shows that you were in that you come out of the uh, out of the IT department yourself, and and and, and so that's that's huh. pretty cool. So how much? Let me let me maybe ask you a bit of an of an odd question, uh, Chris. How where do you um, where do you position yourself on the on the nerd scale? And the nerd scale is if you are zero, you have no idea how to program a computer. You can just switch it on. If you are ten, you still on a regular basis program yourself, and you still know. Uh, how to do, to do Java and 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 and, and uh, the latest technologies and 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 so on. So, where are you yourself still today on this on this nerd scale? Well, I would say I'm a five or six, no, okay. no more. I was I was a ten. I can once imagine. Upon a time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but not now. I, I cannot program in Java. I mm. need, I I learned how to program in Java, but Java was very young when when mm. I was programming. I mainly yeah. program in C. Um, so I'm not that, uh, but during this project and many other projects, I had to convince many people that yeah, things yeah. were possible. Yeah. Okay, I am and, absolutely and, understand. And teams challenge you. Yes, okay. teams challenge you. So you need um, to, to understand them. Let's talk a little bit more also about the, uh, the data aspect of all this. Eh? So one part of, the, of the, 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 the IT transformation, the digital transformation was to go to the cloud, have a completely cloud-based new modern architecture for your reservation system. The other was sure. to become really a data-driven organization so that you can do personalization, uh, uh, intelligent pricing, predictions, and so on and so on. Tell us a little bit more about that uh, part of the, of, the, uh, of the transition that you have created in Milia. Yeah, sure. I, I, I would say with Data and, and make data something that drives your company is part of the, of the digitalization mm -hmm. process. You don't do that, you are not doing the digitalization. Many people say usually digitalization is about processes, people, and technology, and I don't agree. You need data okay. in that equation mm -hmm. uh, because that's what makes you really agile as a company because you are able 
to understand what's going on inside and outside of your company, yep. and you can react to that, mm -hmm. and you can automate with that. Yep. Uh, so um, I'm also that officer of the company, so mm -hmm. I, I'm in charge of ID, but also in charge of, of data. Mm -hmm. uh, I work very close with uh, control management, which they are in charge of the analytic function in the company. So they do the business analysis. Mm -hmm. uh, so I serve them with uh, data that's been cured, centralized, um, engineered, and ready for them to make uh, decisions and to arrive to conclusions on, yeah. on the data. Uh, so it's, it's, it's very important when you design your digital architecture how you design your masters and your, and your data governance model. And that's something we've done during these last years mm -hmm. uh, to empower the people with data technology and making sure that you have a good balance between the people you have in technology and the people you have in data. Because mm -hmm. if you start building technology, but you can uh, make value and add your requirements and, and everything, uh, to be able to make most of the data generated by those transactional technologies, mm -hmm. um, it won't work. Um, so, in our case, and and in the case of in the case of hospitality technology, you'll see that if you compare the size of the business that we are in terms of incomes and in terms of revenues uh, with other industries, mm -hmm. and you see the level of maturity in how we handle data and artificial intelligence, it's amazing. Okay. I mean, um, we are centered on two things. One is delivering amazing experience to our customers. Mm -hmm. And that means knowing what each of them wants at any given moment, how mm -hmm. to talk to them, how to sell them, how to uh, welcome them in our hotels, which kind of things they like. Uh, so there you have to keep on one side a very high level of compliance and legacy and security mm -hmm. yep. because you are handling a lot of data from our customers. We are their house or their home when they are not home. Yep. So we handle a lot of data from our customers and at the same time using that uh, to make sure you are giving them the experience they, they, they want. And the other, the other thing we need to do is to compete with other people selling other things of selling room nights uh, yeah. to customers. And there we have our, at the same par at the same time, partners and competitors like all those booking.coms, hotel.com, yeah. Expedia, all those third parties that they take a part of the revenue of the room, which is their business, but at the same time, they are selling our rooms yeah. and they are making possible that we arrive to to match many people. Mm -hmm. But if we are not able to arrive in a meaningful manner to our customers and to optimize our prices, uh, we wouldn't be able to compete with them, which are native digitals no. with not physical assets that drags them down. No. So uh, we have the cost of the physical thing and the necessity, the need to compete with, with these digital players. So that's why, the, what's, that's why artificial intelligence and, and data management is so important in the hospitality industry. And I would say any major player does a great job with that. And I think we are one of the 
I think I probably can say we are, we are one of the hotel companies that does it uh, very well. And we personalize all our all the customer experience, website, applic and mobile application, contact center. The price is adapted uh, to the to, to whatever is happening into the market or into the location, destination where the hotel is. Um, we at the same time make very efficient our staffing and the way our, our people work, uh, removing a lot of friction of, of, so they can focus on the customer. Yeah. Um, we use robots and artificial intelligence to uh, process uh, hundreds of thousands of bills. And um, we are practically 360% of our processes. Uh, we deal with the data that we're generating over there. We're using robots and, and artificial intelligence to optimize how we handle them and helping our staff to focus on selling, uh, talking to our customers and, and making their experience yeah. um, fantastic and uh, having a high value job. So they are not doing repetitive tasks. They yeah. are ensuring that we optimize our billing process or, or whatever, um, in, depending on the, on, the, on the aspect of the, technology, yeah. of the company that we are doing. Yeah, it's fascinating to see how the, the leisure business, the hotel business is also, has also become a, a digital business and how that can really be a, a USP and a set you, that can set you apart from, from the competition. So the better you work with your data, the better you know your clients, the better you can serve them and the better you can, uh, you can sell to them. So um, if I tell me a little bit how many people work at, at Melia in total and how many people in, in, in IT and how many people in data? Well, we are usually between 35,000 and 40,000. Sometimes we are a little bit more, sometimes we are a little bit less. During the pandemic, we were much less. Mm -hmm. uh, on high season, we, we can arrive to 42,000, uh, depending on, on the year. So we are, we are a huge company in terms of people. Wow. Mm -hmm. uh, we have many people working as uh, waiters and front desk, front desk people, maintenance. So we have, we are, uh, you said before, we are, we are very, physical experience uh, mm -hmm. industry. Yeah. We take care of your vacations and your stay, so we cannot be 100% digital in terms of the <laughs> business. Um, so that's very, that what requires uh, to have uh, a high amount of, of staff. In, in IT oh, we, and data, we are around 200 people swifting, 160 more or less in IT, 30 or 40 in, in data. And then we have, of course, um, so we're factories uh, that help us to develop our products, uh, which is very variable. They, they have no names, uh, I could say, uh, for us because it's people that we, we request on, on demand. Mm -hmm. And then we have outsourcing too, which has people uh, taking care of, uh, of our infrastructure, okay. uh, which is not my people, but they work for us, uh, yeah. but they don't, they don't have names also for us. Mm -hmm. Uh, it's it's the outsource company, uh, so we are we are high in terms in terms of size economical size. I could say that we are zero zero dot seven uh, of our incomes are are the expense in in IT. Okay, so quite a big team. I mean, uh, and as, uh, I mean, and what is interesting is that your responsibility is both in IT and uh, this hundred and sixty people plus the outsource outsourced uh, services around that, but that uh, you have 30 to 40 people in data and that you have the responsibility 
of, uh, of, of, of both of them. Um, because I, I don't think that is, that's not, I don't see many CIOs that have also the, the data responsibility and I can really see the advantage um, because it's so, because the, uh, the pricing and the experience that you need to build based on data is, uh, is, is so important. So, so Chris, if we take a step back and you have been since 2013, the, uh, the global VPIT, you have done a, a big transformation in, uh, in, in your, to the cloud of, of the core systems, become really data driven. How do you look at fundamentally your role in the organization today? Where do you spend today most of, uh, of your time? What is really that you as the, as the CIO, the VPIT of, of, of the company, what is it that you're focusing on today? Well, I said before, I think, I think IT's mission is to make the business viable, efficient and fast and transform it with uh, the capacities that technology brings into the, technology and data in my case bring, brings into the table. Mm -hmm. um, so most of my time is spent talking to other uh, high, high, not only high level executives of the company that to, to understand their strategy and, and, and their goals, uh, but also meet management to learn the struggles that the people is having and, and going to our hotels mm -hmm. to see what's going on over there and, and the different challenges they have in different parts of the, of the world. And, and we are living now something uh, in, in, in our external environment, which is the digitalization of the fiscal function uh, all around the world. Yeah. And this is a huge challenge for us too, uh, because we have to respond to different countries where uh, electronic billing, um, electronic reporting of your fiscal obligations, mm -hmm. it's growing and everybody is doing it in a different way. So in Europe, yeah. we are more or less lucky that we have some common grounds, but yeah not 100% because Italy's regulation is different than Spain and French than, uh, than uh, Belgium, than Germany, uh, but also in Latin America. So you have to be very aware of what's going on in different countries, in, yeah. in, different, in different hotels. So I, I, I try to be very close to, to, to all the business functions. Mm -hmm. and, and I also sit in what we call the strategic committee. So I'm part of the strategy definition of the company mm -hmm. and, and I follow the strategic plan. Um, but but that's, that's the, um, the hard explanation of the function. Mm -hmm. uh, what I am very proud is of seeing how we or me or my team and, and myself are uh, permeating a different way of doing things into the business. Mm -hmm. So uh, for me now, seeing uh, the brand development working with agility, using our digital tools to handle their task and to to see what who is doing who to to this, to, to adapt their product to the customer's needs and mm -hmm. testing and then changing and not designing how they're going to. For me, that's amazing. Uh, that's when I see that um, we are not a company that's using digital process and digital mm -hmm. technology. We are becoming digital. And, and this is a marvelous journey that we started 
in 2015 when I put uh, one person of my team, one young professional, really, really great professional, uh, as a director of uh, IT for sales and distribution. And I gave her a functional reporting to the VP of sales and distribution. Okay. So I told him, hey, um, you've been struggling with IT. I know that we've been slow. We, you think that we make decisions that affect the way you can achieve your goals and it didn't work right. So let's do something. I know you know what you want. I know you know when you want it, uh, but you don't know how to do it. And I know how to do it. So let's do something. You take care of what and when, and we'll put the how. And let's mix our teams. What's your organization? Who, who, who are the responsible for, for your organization? So this is my head of revenue management. This is my head of uh, campaign. This is my head. So what we did is under this director for IT sales and distribution, mm -hmm. we replicated the sales and distribution organization in technology. And we sat all the people working in IT for the people in sales and distribution together with the teams. So the people in campaign management from the business and our people were sitting together physically no. and they working together. So what we didn't do is give them agile processes because I know I knew that was going to that's, that wasn't going to work to force mm -hmm. them into something so new at that moment. But we started and we did that with 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 this director uh, that she bought. She bought the the plan from from the beginning. Um, we started forcing them to deliver projects both to the business and to the technology team. Uh, very short with very short windows. Yeah. Okay, we want this in one month. This is a quick win. We need is this. So. As I mentioned before, we have a very strong governance in, in, in IT. And they, so they started struggling <laughs> because they needed a lot of time to handle all the bureaucracy around, around that and building the project, getting the project approved. The, so in, in a short time, they were requesting to, there's something out there that's called agility and we want to learn how to do that. Okay. So we engaged a company that helped us with that. So this started as changing the way the business and ourselves did product management, uh, technology and agile development. And it was very successful. So it was successful that that was when the IT function was started to be seen as something very good inside the company. Mm -hmm. And we started to have requests from other sides of the company to work the same way. So one year later, we started with, with the back of the house and the company appointed uh, the, the, VP, the VP for strategy as the leader for digital in the back of the house to agile, put agility in the processes. So we did the same thing. I have him and I put a director under him and we started digitalization on the back of the house of processes. Yeah. And then operations. We did the same thing with operations, with, with hotel operations uh, for the customer experience, for the people working in the front desk. And, and we started doing the same thing. So in, in, since our journey that started in, in 20, 2015 to 2020, 2021, we had digital processes working in the 360 degrees of the company. And then came when they saw the opportunity that I told before of using the way we did things for their business processes. 
and and it's been an amazing journey. Okay. Wow, that's quite 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 an, an impressive, uh, uh, Chris. Let's talk a little bit more about yourself. So and uh, and so the first thing I would like to know is you're clearly very successful in 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 building teams and reorganizing teams and bringing in young people and 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 and, and having new ways of working. So how would you describe your management style? What's your secret ingredient of, uh, of building successful teams? Okay, um, I think that's something very important. And first, thank you for your compliment, um, is giving them accountability and responsibility for their own task and their own job. Mm -hmm. So I coach them a lot. I, I help every professional that works in my team knows any, at any level know that they can get into my office and ask for help for whatever they need. But they also know that they will get out with more job mm -hmm. than the one they have when they enter the, the room. Um, because I, I make sure I have great professionals working for, for, for us and, and for my team. Um, so I expect them to, to be able to resolve their problems. And I don't give them impossible problems. Uh, and I, I, I can tell you I'm very persistent when I know something can be done. Mm -hmm. uh, but at the same time, uh, I know that when you force someone to do things, a, a great professional, a good professional, when you force a good professional to do things the way you think they have to be done, uh, you are not getting the best from them. You have to make them do their own way of, of, of achieving the goal you want. Um, so I would say that's, that's it. Accountability and responsibility help to grow, but not resolving their problems. Okay. If I would go to, um, to your teams and I would ask your people what they really think about you uh, and, and, and how do you think that they will describe your leadership style? Uh, if I, what do you think people say about you when you're not around? Well, I try to think in the positive and non, non so positive things. Mm -hmm. uh, they will say that I'm very close, uh, that mm, I'm very approachable, I'm always for the people, mm -hmm. um, that I'm very well-mannered with them, so I never shout on, on mm -hmm. these kind of things. Um, I'm very, very nice to them, I'm very close, but at the same time, I'm very persistent. I try to get the best of them and push them to the limit. Um, and they grow, they grow with me. Um, so I would say he never resolves our problems. <laughs> uh, every time I go into the office, as I was saying, I, I, I go out with more work, uh, but he always listens, he always helps, he always makes me think, and people grow with him. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's something I'm very proud of. Uh, I, many people that I have now in management in my, in my team and in other teams uh, is people I hire for low-level positions and they were great professionals, so I coach them. Okay. Let's talk a little bit more about your personality. You shared with us that your, uh, your Myers-Briggs personality type, your, uh, uh, your MBTI, is you are an INTJ uh, and also known as an architect. And so an INTJ yeah. is a person with introverted uh, and more introverted intuitive thinking and judging personality traits. And these are uh, thoughtful tacticians that love perfecting the details of life. They're applying their creativity and rationality to everything that they do. 
and their inner world is often very private and a complex one. Does that sound a little bit like you? Totally, totally. I, I know that I'm in TNG from a long time ago, I think six or seven years, and the first time I read the description of what what was an INTG? Mm -hmm. I was amazed on how close it was to how close it was to me, uh, especially because I think the introvert or what I understood is an introvert extrovert part of it. It's not about you being nice to people and being able to be um, a close person, cheerful person. It's about where you get your energy from. Yeah, and I I know I get my energy. From my inner world and from my from my external world, uh, I consume my energy in extroversion. I get it from introversion. So I read a lot, I think a lot. Uh, I like to wake up very early in the morning, so I have one hour and a half for myself. Okay. Uh, so I can have breakfast uh, in a calm way and and maybe read a little bit of things in in the phone or in or in the laptop. Um, and it's my me time. Um, so I'm, I'm introverted in that way, but at the same time, I've, I'm a person that enjoys very much uh, impacting and, and learning uh, from other people. So I may not seem an introvert person to many people, but I am. <laughs> uh, I need my energy from my inner world. Otherwise, I'm not able to do the other, the other thing. Well, let's maybe look at the, at the, the strengths and the weaknesses. Of, of an architect, of an INTJ. So I'm gonna present you with, okay. with a couple of the strengths and then you, you tell me which ones that stand out for yourself. So the typical strengths for an INTJ, for an architect, is that they're rational, that they're well-informed, yes. that they're independent, that they are determined, you already mentioned that, that they are curious and versatile. Does that all fit the bill? Which ones stand out for you? Well, I would say it's thinking out of the box, which is part, a mix of, of them. Mm -hmm. I think different than other people. So when you put a problem and you ask people how you would solve this problem, most of the people find a way of solving it. So I'm the one that solves it in a different way. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it's because of the way I architect data inside my head and the way I approach problems in a very intuitive way. And that's the, the end of the IT, INT, mm -hmm. INTG. I, there's sometimes I don't know why. I know something is going to happen or you have to fix this in, a, in that way. But I know that, that you have to do it this way. And I usually I've learned with the years that I'm correct about that. Mm -hmm. So, and this is something that in my young times, sometimes I was shy about it because sometimes I knew that you had to do things in a certain way, but as I cannot, I couldn't not rationally explain why that was the way of doing things. Mm -hmm. But then when you start to see that you succeed every time you do things in that way and you are correct at the end of the day, you just have to trust in that intuition. Um, so I, I would say that mixture of things you mentioned in, in, in thinking outside of the box is, is the resume for me. Okay, now let's look at the flip side, at the, at the dark side of the architect. And that is, you. let's say domains where you have to be careful, possible weaknesses, areas of development are that architects can be arrogant, they can be dismissive of emotions, they can be overly critical, combative, and, uh, and, and then more on the personal uh, side, romantically clueless. But let's focus on the, on, on the other ones first. So, so where do you 
recognize yourself? What are the, the, what's the professional personal development that you had to go through to do well, to have the, the, the role that you have today? Because you can't be arrogant, you can't be dismissive of emotions or overly critical in your position, right? No, you, you are correct, you are correct. And thanks to God, one learns with the years, uh, part because of the experience, part because of training you get from um, people management. Mm -hmm. uh, so you, you learn to, to soften yourself. But I could say my, my most important um, weakness could be stubbornness sometimes, because I know, I know what I want. I know that it has to be done. I know one way is the correct way, or I feel I know. Uh, so keeping open to, to listening to other people about how to do those things. Yep. Uh, because sometimes you, you can be wrong. I mean, you may have your intuition, but you can be wrong. Mm -hmm. So sometimes it's good to, to listen to other people, but I have to, to coach myself yep. sometimes to, to, do, to do that. And I, that, that's, that's mostly, I, I'm not, oh, I try not to be arrogant in the sense of, of imposing mm -hmm. myself with strength to, to others. In fact, I, I think that if you want to lead a transformation in a company and you want to, to convince other people uh, that they have to adopt a different way of doing things, you have to be very humble. Uh, because you need to convince them that it's their idea and their success and not yours doing things in a different way. So I think that, that also it's been a great lesson I learned with my years, mm -hmm. not on my technical experience, but on my management experience. And I think that's part of the core of the digital transformation we've done. Uh, success is for the business functions. So, okay, we transform the way you do things, but it's your thing. You are transforming yourself. We are just helping here. Um, uh, and it pays back. I mean, our, su our, success, our success inside the company is because everyone feels supported by us, feels rewarded by us. They trust us. They listen to us mm -hmm. because they are getting good things. Yep. And let them have the, 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 the protagonism. So, Chris, you shared with, uh, with us that you have uh, two children. Girl 17, yes. boy 15, uh, so uh, teenagers growing up very fast, I can imagine. So what, is the, what are the values that you're passing on to the children, uh, to your children? What are the core values that you live by yourself? Well, there's a quote from, from um, a TV show, so it's not someone very, very famous in mm -hmm. philosophy or anything like that. It's Harvey Specter from, from the show, Suits. So that says always that success only comes before work in the dictionary. And, and that's something I try to, to coach them. They have to work for what they want. Mm -hmm. the, the second thing, the second value is to be themselves. So not to be ashamed of who they are and what they are because they have great capacities. Everyone has great capacities for something. Mm -hmm. They just have to build on their strength. So they will improve with work, but listen to yourself, to what's your inner strength and focus on them or what you like and what you can do better than, than, than the average people and focus on those strengths of you. And, and above all, be, be straight to your values. Mm -hmm. So 
you think something is right, don't do the opposite because you will repent on that. Yeah. So it's a lot about work is needed for success and learn about yourself, about who you are and build on that. Your strengths, your values. Yeah. In your younger years, Chris, you were very passionate about sailing. Right? You were... Uh... You did. Yep. Uh, uh, you gave training in in in, uh, in sailing. What are your passions today outside of work? Well, from sailing, many years ago, I moved into rugby. I started playing rugby. rugby. Wow. Yep. Yep. And I've been playing rugby very actively since not many years ago, forty uh, something. And then I started playing veterans uh, vets, uh, but I didn't play. F- since the uh, pandemic, mm-hmm. uh, so I'm looking at um, going back to that, but I'm still um, in contact with, uh, with the club and um, we have mm-hmm. a great relationship with all the teammates, so it's, it's something I like a lot. Um, and I also, I'm also into CrossFit, so sports is always something that I'm very, very close to. Mm-hmm. Um, I like feeling well and, and feeling young. Uh, I'm 50 now, so I like to feel young and be able to pick something from the floor and, and go up the stairs very well. And at the same time, keep, that keeps your, your, your head also young. Yeah. Um, and I like a lot to read. Something, something, something that I like is reading. I, I read a lot. I read before going to, to sleep every night. I read more learning things every morning. Mm-hmm. And the third one is my family. Um, yeah. Being with my kids all the time I, I can and, and with the rest of my family. I think that's very Mediterranean. Uh, we, we, we like to be very, very close. So I would say those are the three things a part of work that... that yeah. And if you, read, if you read, is it about business? Is it, uh, um, is it about politics? Is it about literature? What is it that you read? I try to read things that in, uh, interest me. So I, I read many different things. I, I, I can tell you, I, I, I read from uh, philosophy books uh, to historic books to science fiction okay. to, uh, to whatever that interests me at that moment of time. Um, and I'm like a laser sometimes. Mm-hmm. So if some subject interests me, I read everything about that. Yeah. Uh, or if some author like, I like some author, for, for example, a few years ago, I enjoyed an, an Asimov book and I read all the books from Isaac Asimov. Um, also happened to be recently with the saga of Dune, uh, which is amazing. If you haven't read it, I would highly recommend it because of all the back it has. It seems like a science fiction mm-hmm. book, but it has a lot of philosophy in it, of politics, of self-development lessons, of ecology. Mm-hmm. It's amazing the things the author use science fiction to teach about. So I highly recommend that that saga. Uh, and so it's very very di- different kind of reading. Okay. I like changing and, and learning. Chris, do you have a, a personal mantra, a saying that you live by or that you use if you have to make uh, decisions or when you talk to, to people? Do you have a personal mantra? Yes, I could say you can still do it better. Uh, I'm a perfectionist and that was one of the sides of, or one of the aspects of the IETNG. 
Mm -hmm. uh, I finish a project, I'm already looking at how we can improve that. So I'm, I'm sure we finish that. Okay, it's amazing. We can do this more efficient. Mm -hmm. uh, what can we change to make this better? Um, I'm always looking at doing things in a different way so we can improve. You can always do it. You can always improve everything. That's, that's my mantra. So work is never done. Okay. You never finished. Okay. Not necessarily an easy position in life if it can always be better. But let's talk about the important people in your life. Do you have any important mentors, coaches that helped you to develop? And, and what did you, who are they and what did you learn from them? Yes, I, I have. I have um, three or four people I consider my, my mentors in my life. Mm -hmm. uh, the first one is my father, uh, which I learned many things from him, from being what's being a man to, to as a grown-up person, uh, to, to values I have in my, in my life now that I learned from him, like the hard work, like uh, you can do things uh, if you push them. Um, I learned a lot from, from my dad. And he always was similar to me in the sense that he knew I was capable of doing everything I wanted mm -hmm. uh, or everything I had to do. Uh, so he was demanding, but at the same time, he, he was doing it always from a really nice way of, of approaching things mentoring but not resolving the problems for me so that's something i learned from from him and then professionally i have two or three of them um, but one of them in particular which was my boss from for six years mm -hmm. uh, and he for some reason he decided to to coach me mm -hmm. and he I wasn't a direct report for him at the beginning. So he was the boss of my boss at the beginning. But he took me personally and, and shared time of his own time. He spent hours after work talking to me about things and teaching me things okay. and, and asking me my opinion of, on many things. So this is, this is probably a part of my father is the, the person I care most as a, as a mentor, Pep Lopez. And probably one of the worst moments of my life one was when he, he passed away suddenly from, okay. from one... He was my boss at that moment. And I remember a weekend receiving the call that, did you know what happened to Pep? And, and he passed away that night, uh, sleeping in the bed. And I remember that as a cold water being thrown into you. Mm -hmm. um, and learning, okay, now my world is without this mentor. What do I do first? Mm -hmm. Because he's been coaching me for all this time. And, and then professionally, I've grown over his position. And arriving there. And so that's one of the things that make me very, very proud of what I've done in my life. Because mm -hmm. it's like, okay, you were seeing him as the best professional ever. Mm -hmm. And now you are here. Uh, but I know I'm here because, because of, of him, him also and yeah. what he taught me. Yeah. Okay, super. Now, Chris, you're very, very successful in your career, um, in your long career in, in Emilia, but we all make our mistakes, right? We all have our hmm. bigger and smaller failures. We have stupid failures. We have nice failures. And sometimes we make a brilliant failure. Would you care to share what was maybe your most brilliant failure and, and, and what did you learn from it? 
Well, I, 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 when I started working in, in Melia as a technician, there was something that happened three months after I joined the company. Mm-hmm. Is that I was in the other department. I took care of communications in that, uh, sorry, um, of system engineering in that, in that department. And there was one person in communication, one person taking care of databases, one person in architecture. There was many people working in there. But suddenly, many people, 80% of the people left. Mm-hmm. Some because they were moving into another department, some of them because they left, and one because he passed away. Um, so suddenly, I was very young, professional, lack of experience in our department, and it was very important for the department because there was a, a, a person that took care of communications and myself taking care of everything else. Mm-hmm. And there was a huge project uh, that involved transforming the technology in, in of our hotels. So we had isolated technology in each hotel and we, moved, we were moving into a, a managed um, active directory domain, controlling everything with a control platform without sourcing from a great company, managing our, our desktops and, and, the, and the support for the hotels. And we had to change the technology in every hotel we had at that moment. Mm-hmm. So I was the only person in the department. So Chris, yes, I know you have three months. You have three months of experience here. You have to do this. Can you do this? Yes, I can. I can. I can. I can do this. So uh, I was working five year, five hours per day. I started to work full time and working more time than I was supposed to be working, mm-hmm. uh, taking care of everything, calling around. I have photos of that period of time when I'm talking with two phones at the same time, one, the, the fixed phone and the mobile phone at the same time. And also emailing, it was, uh, it was brutal, but I put everything in track. I set up the project and then there was something that I wasn't, it wasn't my responsibility. And it's making sure that the server rooms in the hotels was ready. So there was cabling to be done in the hotels to over there. Uh, core switches that had to be implemented in the hotels. Mm-hmm. And I was in charge of another department in, in, in IT, but another department that had to take care of the physical infrastructure in the, in the hotel. So they didn't, they didn't do their work. Um, so I arrived with my people to implement everything in the hotels and there were, was there was nowhere to put the server. The one. So, uh, but I wasn't responsible for the project. So I was responsible for that to be done. And at the end of the day, we finished doing that with delay in our project. We, we finished uh, six months later than we were supposed to do in a one-year project. So mm-hmm. it was a 50% delay, which is a lot. Yeah. Um, everybody understood because I was so young. Uh, but I learned that if you want something, some project to be successful, you can not only look at your responsibilities in the project, uh, it doesn't mean you have to do everything, but don't, don't give things for granted because your responsibility is not doing your tasks. Your responsibility is the, the project to be successful. Mm-hmm. So after all, I, everybody was very happy because the project was very well done and it was a boost for my career at, at mm-hmm. that moment, even with the, fifth, with the six months delay. Uh, but it was a big hit for me yeah. uh, personally. And I struggled a lot with that. So I, I would say that that was my, as you said, my most brilliant failure. Okay, super. Now, 
Chris, thank you so much uh, for this, this brilliant interview. I really, really enjoyed it. And thank you for your time. And, and I hope to meet you in face-to-face uh, -face in Mallorca uh, very soon, uh, one of our, our favorite islands, of course. So uh, I want to uh, end this, um, uh, this conversation with the question, what is the advice that you would give to, to young professionals, dynamic, ambitious people that want to follow in your footsteps? What is the advice that you would give to them? Well, uh, trust yourselves. Be humble at the same time. So get to your core values, get what you think is right. Follow your conscience and your heart and your brain. Involve everything, but listen to everyone. And always remember that transformations are not done by yourself. I don't buy the company that you work for, by the people that forms your company, by your team when you have a team. So make sure everyone feels like a star and you make everyone feels like a star when you want to achieve something. So trust yourself, build on yourself, make sure all the others feel, feel like stars. And on that note, Chris, thank you so much. It was really a pleasure. Looking forward to meeting you soon. Thank you, Henrik. It's been a pleasure also for me. A great interview.